Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of It's Crime Time. This episode is the second episode in my mini-series of crimes that keep me up at night. This case has bothered me due to the sheer amount of time that the victim was tortured and what she was subjected to during this torture, and I'm talking about the case of Kelly Ann Bates. All right, everyone, it's crime time. Before I continue this episode, I would like to place a disclaimer that the acts in this case are absolutely horrendous and involve torture upon a minor. So if you do not feel comfortable, please feel free to click off. Kelly Ann Bates was born on May 18, 1978 in Hattersley, Greater Manchester, England to parents Tommy and Margaret Bates. Kelly was often considered an old soul due to her maturity level and the fact that she just got along better with friends that were older than her and she preferred the company of adults rather than those her own age. And there's nothing wrong with that. I was that way too as a child. I preferred to talk to people that were, you know, my parents' age and things like that. I got along with people better um, that way because I was kind of nerdy. I was really smart. I, you know, I focused on school a lot and people my own age often just didn't get along with me. So, you know, I liked the company of older people and she did as well. She was intelligent and very, very bubbly, you know, smart girl. And she dreamed of being a teacher one day. She wanted to be a teacher. And at 14 years old, Kelly met 45 year old James Patterson Smith. So listen to that again. She was 14. She met a 45 year old man and typically okay, you know, not a problem there. She had older friends. She wasn't intimate or, you know, there was nothing creepy going on with these other people as far as, you know, I know. But she was babysitting for one of James' friends. And when they arrived home, they brought a friend with them. And this friend was James. And instantly he just struck up a conversation with Kelly and he was just taken by her. He thought she was beautiful and and whatever else that creeps think about children. And they hit it off though, they hit it off well. Um, She always, like I said, befriended those older than her and it wasn't an issue until meeting him because there wasn't any actual romantic relationships with older men. They weren't, you know, inappropriate with her, but but he he was laying it on. He was trying to um, develop a relationship with her. So he took an inappropriate liking to her and he asked her if he could walk her home one day and she agreed she was unaware at first i think of what he was trying to do except she was also taken by him she found him interesting there was something about him that she liked he was very nice and charming and and everyone describes him as being clean cut you know took care of his home took care of himself so she was she was taken by him as well but she wasn't aware of how terrible his past was James was actually a jobless divorcee, and he was often described described as house proud and clean cut, like I mentioned. He had been married from 1970 to 1980, but his wife left him due to severe abuse. So think about this. 
James got married eight years before Kelly was even born. Now, I don't have a problem with um, huge age gaps in relationships. That's really no issue. Um, but she was not of age. And I am, like most people, super against pedophiles and all and things of that nature. And this is clearly pedophilia because even me, you know, being um, my age that I am, I could not imagine being attracted to a 14 year old. So even, you know, being th like late twenties, early thirties, whatever, I, I can't, I can't imagine. Um, I would never look at a 14 year old boy and think, wow, he's gorgeous. I would, I would look at him and think, you know, uh, he's a child to <laughs> like, to me, you know, he's a child, he's a little boy. And I, I just don't understand it. You know, I'm not, I'm not one of those people, so I don't understand, but he, um, yeah, he was, he was very attracted to her and he had already been in, um, several unsuccessful relationships due to the fact that he was a severe abuser. So as far as I know, his wife that he was with from 70 to um, 1980 was his age. She was near his age and she left him because he, he abused her every single day, physically, mentally, there was just no, um, it was unrelenting. And she finally got the courage to get rid of him. She left. And the problem is that none of this abuse was ever legally documented. She never went to the police. She was probably too afraid. So she left, but it wasn't documented. So like nobody could look into his record. Nobody could learn anything about him because he didn't have a record of abuse as far as, you know, the police were concerned. So after he divorced his wife, or well, she divorced him, he began dating a girl named Tina Watson. And this girl was only 20 at the time, and he was around 32. See, there's not really an issue with this, because yes, they were 12 years apart, but she was 20, she was legal. So, you know, that's not as bothersome. And she became pregnant with their child, and he treated her like a human punching bag, as she stated um, several times and in court. He punched her all the time, kicked her all the time, constantly abused her while she was pregnant. And he got her one time by the throat and he attempted to push her under the water while she was bathing. And their relationship had lasted for two years before she decided to call it quits because of his abuse. Then he began dating a girl named Wendy Mottershead, who was only 15. So over time, his age of girls that he went after obviously got younger. Um, his wife was... As far as I know, close his age. Then he had a 20-year-old girlfriend, and now he's 34 and dating a 15-year-old girl. So that's pretty disgusting. Um, he also held Wendy under the water in the kitchen sink, among other acts um, that he he decided to carry out to abuse her, to scare her, to control her. And Kelly, so while she was intelligent, she was an old soul, and she got along with elder, you know, her elder, she got along with older people. She was very young. So of course there was a bit of naivety to her. Yeah, she was 14. So she didn't have lived experiences that someone his age had. She, she probably wouldn't have been able to see the red flags, the signs that there's something creepy about this man. And it doesn't really cross your mind when you're that age. Like what, you know, what does a, a 45 year old man want with me? It didn't cross her mind. She was just she loved his compliments. He complimented her. He made her feel beautiful. He made her feel, you know, confident. At first, he was very charming. And so 
he made her feel special and any woman would want that. And especially a teenage girl, you know, you're a teenager, you're going through all kinds of things um, with your body, your mind, you know. So obviously Kelly got along with those older than her and finding a man that would make her feel special and confident, you know, like any woman wants, made her decide, okay, I want to begin a relationship with him. And they began a relationship. They hid it from Kelly's parents until two years into the relationship when Kelly was 16 years old. During the course of this two years, James would walk Kelly home from school. So I'm not sure how no one noticed or saw this strange man, you know, walking her to school, but her parents had not met him. They had not seen him in person. And his abuse actually started at this point, but not to the extent of being physical quite yet, as far as we know. Now, if she had been an adult, she may have saw the red flags in this, but she was only 14, so she did not. Even adults obviously miss these red flags because he wanted total control of her. He wanted, you know, he was he was controlling, he was demanding. And she may have thought this was just his way of showing affection. It was cute. And he wanted to be around her all the time, constantly. He wanted to know everything. He wanted to know who she was with, where she was. And when he wasn't with her, he would call her parents home constantly to make sure she was still at home. She had to spend every weekend at his home from Friday to Sunday, and he even controlled what she wore, how she looked. And worst of all, she had to bring her dirty laundry to his home so that he could wash it and no one else could purchase her toiletries either. So that's really weird. I found that very weird because her parents obviously wash her laundry at her home because she still lives there or she washes it, but he didn't want anyone else touching her laundry anymore. So she had to lug her laundry all the way to his home and he had to wash it every weekend. And then every Sunday, he would put Kelly on a bus to get back to her home. And he actually knew down to the minute how long the trip would take and then how long it would take her to walk from the bus stop to her house. And as soon as she got in the door, James would call the house phone to see if she was home. At this time, on November 30th, 1995, she wanted to move in with him after she left school. They were still kind of concealing their relationship because her parents hadn't actually met him in person. I believe they talked on the phone a few times to him and they thought he was, from sources that I found, they thought he was 32 years old and his name was actually David Smith, which obviously was not the case, but they had never saw him in person. So her parents, you know, said, well, yeah, you can move in, but you need to keep in regular contact with us, which any parent would want that. You know, they were concerned because they hadn't met this guy, but that's what she wanted. And she was the age of consent. They could not really do much about it at the time. So she did move in with him. Kelly's mom did speak to him on the phone, like I said, and she thought he was nice enough, but she didn't know that, you know, he was some old creep. She, I mean, 32 is still way too old to be with, you know, a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, whatever, in my opinion, because you're still a pedo. But they were, I guess, kind of okay with it. They were still, like, concerned, but um, he seemed nice enough, and he seemed to be really in love with her, so they let it happen. Kelly became an English teacher, I believe, part-time, so she fulfilled her childhood dream of teaching children. But James still didn't work, so she was essentially the breadwinner. But one day Kelly brought James over to her parents' home to show her around, sorry, to show him around. And this is the weird thing. This was brought up in several other podcasts that I listened to, but I find it very weird that you're bringing a 47 year old man to your childhood home. You're showing him your childhood home, your childhood bedroom, which is probably very childlike, like girly. I don't know. I just think it's, it's creepy. So when she was showing him around and they were walking down the stairs, Kelly's parents had walked in the home. 
So when her parents arrived home, they saw Kelly walking down the stairs with, well, the guy they thought was Dave Smith, James, behind her. And they kind of knew right away this man was not her age. And there's one picture out there of him, and he looks like an absolute old creep. I feel bad because I have no idea what she saw in him other than his ability to manipulate and make her feel good about herself and things because he was vile looking. <laughs> Is vile looking, I should say. But Kelly's mom, Margaret, actually stated in an interview later, quote, as I walked in, he swaggered down the stairs and it made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. He was much older than I expected and looked a bit like John Denver, but he was swarmy. He said, nice to meet you at last. And all I can think of was how I wanted to get rid of him. This wasn't the man I wanted for my daughter. I vividly recall seeing our bread knife in the kitchen and wanting to pick it up and stab him in the back. I've thought about that many times, end quote. So mother's instincts, you know right away when you see your daughter with the man, you know right away, uh, this, this guy's no good. He's a creep. She needs, you know, to get away from him. And that's kind of the feeling she had. Margaret became very worried, but once again, there's nothing she could really do. So she did agree to the relationship if Kelly kept in regular contact with them. In the beginning, Kelly visited her parents often and they did notice some bruising on her which she simply explained away as some sort of accident. Margaret didn't buy it, and she did attempt to report this abuse to Kelly's doctor and the police, but because of her age, there was really not much they could do unless Kelly reported the abuse herself, which she didn't. Her parents had also begun researching this Dave Smith guy, and obviously no one knew who he was. No one knew a Dave Smith that was 32. And eventually they did find out later that he wasn't Dave Smith and he was actually not 32, but they did a lot of research on him and asked around and, and nobody knew who he was. So they, they found that very weird at first. They did learn that he was 32 years older than their daughter and that his name was James. Over the next few months, they say Kelly became very withdrawn. She changed a lot. She rarely visited her parents anymore, and when she did, they still saw these bruises and bite marks on her arms, and they were really, really worried about her. And, and one time, she even maintained that she was actually just attacked by a group of girls. It wasn't James. It was a group of girls attacked her, and they bit her and, and you know, bruised her up. And obviously, her parents didn't buy that either. The police could only give the Bates family pamphlets about domestic abuse and just encourage them to give them to Kelly and encourage them to get her to report this abuse but she never did and she would never admit to her parents that he was abusive at one point the Bates went to james home to visit and to drink some tea with them and, and chuckle on their daughter and while he was giving them a tour he showed them this hole in his floorboards that they noticed and he explained it away by saying it needed to be fixed. There was a gas line that needed to be fixed or something of that nature. But it was kind of ominous to her parents. They didn't see anything else really amiss, obviously, other than that floorboard incident. And then they saw her bruises. But she eventually quit her part-time job as a teaching assistant, which, or a, as a teacher in March 1996, which is really depressing because... The end of that was her dream, but I'm going to assume he had made her quit because the abuse on her became so obvious that she couldn't hide it anymore and she couldn't go to work. He wanted complete control. And 
She eventually had no more contact with her parents as well. She called them most weeks, but she never visited again. And this is probably, like I said, because the abuse had progressed to the point where she just couldn't go outside because if, if she did, somebody was going to notice and report it. One week in March of 1996, Kelly's parents had had enough, absolutely enough, and they wanted to check on their daughter. So they were getting ready and they were about to leave their home when their oldest son, Andrew, came home and he told them, oh, a friend saw Kelly recently. She's doing fine. Her parents at the time actually did not ask when Kelly was actually seen and they will regret this forever because it turned out that the friend had actually seen Kelly all the way back in December and it was March. So a lot can happen in three months. And you'll find out with this, this case that a lot can happen in one month. In the three weeks leading up to Kelly's death, so three or four weeks, Kellyanne was tortured repeatedly and severely beyond what anyone could imagine a human could endure. James tied her to a radiator by her hair. He tied her to furniture by her hair. He tied her to this radiator and furniture with a ligature around her neck sometimes. He tortured her by partially scalping her, breaking her arms, crushing her hands, her kneecaps, and stabbing her all over her body with knives and forks, scissors. He burnt her with hot irons. And at one point a neighbor had become concerned because they had not seen Kelly out in a while. So they asked about her and she was just shown to this neighbor through a bedroom window upstairs. So he's like, basically, hey, there she is. She's fine. Look, she's up there. And she was able to, um, you know, just sit by the window and, and they saw her and okay. But he wouldn't let her come out. Eventually, on April 16th, 1996, Smith showed up at a police station to report that he had accidentally killed his girlfriend during an argument in a bathtub. He claimed that she inhaled water and died after he attempted to resuscitate her. He told them that she pretended to be unconscious often, which is very freaking weird to me. Like, why would you tell the cops? Like, oh yeah, my girlfriend kind of plays dead sometimes. So, I don't know. He was obviously trying to shift the blame and say like, it was basically her fault. So police went to his home and they went to investigate and they found Kelly's naked body lying in bed. Upon seeing her, they knew that this was no accident due to the condition of her body and all the wounds from torture and her blood was just found all throughout his house. Upon examination of her body during an autopsy, over 150 wounds were found. And I'm gonna list again some of uh, what was found on her body. She had scalding to her buttocks and left leg, burns on her thigh caused by a hot iron, a fractured arm, multiple stab wounds caused by knives, forks, scissors. She even had stab wounds inside of her mouth, crush injuries to both hands, mutilation of her ears, nose, eyebrows, mouth, lips, and genitalia, and wounds caused by a spade and pruning shears and a partial scalping. But the worst of all of these injuries, in my opinion, and the part that just creeps me out and makes me think about this case the most, because I could not imagine, is that he actually gouged out both of her eyes. And the medical examiner said that it occurred no more than three weeks and no less than five days before her killing. So he had actually gouged her eyes out, her eyes out and she lived up to three weeks and he also repeatedly stabbed her in the eye sockets where her eyes used to be. So he gouged her eyes out and that wasn't enough. And he had to just repeatedly stab her in the eye sockets. That that's the part that just 
I can't even fathom. Wow. I mean, I think that's the part that, you know, got me um, thinking about this case a lot and just the sheer depravity of everything that occurred. She also was starved. She lost 20 kilograms and that's around 44 pounds. And she hadn't received any water several days before her death. And obviously you can see that in an autopsy, they check your stomach contents and everything. And she had no water. The pathologist involved in her case, William Lawler, who had examined her body stated, quote, in my career, I have examined almost 600 victims of homicide, but I have never come across injuries so extensive, end quote. After torturing her for weeks, he struck her head with the shower head while bathing her. So she was in the tub. He beat her over the head with the shower head and then she drowned in the tub. And that's ultimately what killed her. He was arrested and he was tried for Kelly's torture and murder. And a prosecutor at the trial explained of the situation, quote, the physical pain would have been intense, causing anguish and torment to the point of a mental breakdown and collapse. He also stated it was as if he deliberately disfigured her, causing her the utmost distress and degradation. The injuries were not the result of one sudden eruption of violence. They must have been caused over a long period of time and were so extensive and so terrible that the defendant must have deliberately and systematically tortured the girl, end quote. Other women that James had abused were present to testify at the trial. But this is the first time anyone had ever come forward about the abuse. So it's sad, but none of the women were, were saved from his, his abuse because, you know, they weren't warned of it because these women never spoke out about it before. And finally, he had gotten away with, you know, the ultimate the ultimate crime, um, the ultimate abuse and torture, he finally killed someone because Kelly had no idea he was that way. They painted a picture of James as being misogynistic. He was obsessively jealous and he used violence to control his victims. His ex, Amater said, which was the 15 year old girl, explained, it frightened me, but you get to the point where you're too frightened to do anything or say anything. You just took it, end quote. Tina Watson explained in court, once I was having a bath and he got me by the throat and tried to push me under the water, end quote. James had the nerve to sit in court and argue that he was the real victim in the situation. He claimed that Kelly had drove him to kill her because she taunted him all the time. Claiming that she taunted him about his dead mother. And he also stated, quote, she put me through hell winding me up. End quote. He said she would inflict these injuries on herself to make him look like a bad person, which we know is absolutely not true. He was a bad freaking person regardless. He was asked why he blinded and stabbed and battered her, and he said that she dared him to do it by challenging him to do her harm. So I know that when you're fighting with somebody, sometimes people are like, oh, hit me, hit me, go ahead, you know. So he's claiming that she was doing that sort of thing to him, which I doubt it. But even if she did, He's, he's ridiculous. That's no reason to torture her. You don't actually hit the person that's challenging you. You, especially if, you know, they're your partner. That's disgusting. It was determined by a psychiatrist that he had a severe paranoid disorder with morbid jealousy, and he lived in some sort of distorted reality. In this case, the jury did not buy his story either, and it took them about one hour to find James Patterson Smith guilty, and he was sentenced to a minimum of 20 years in prison, some places I've seen have stated 25, but as far as I know, it, it was a minimum of 20. The judge stated at trial, 
quote, this has been a terrible case, a catalog of depravity by one human being upon another. You're a highly dangerous person. You are an abuser of women, and I intend, so far as it is in my power, that you will abuse no more, end quote. Jurors were offered counseling after the trial because they saw the gruesome autopsy photos of Kelly, and it's very traumatic. So every one of the jurors did accept the counseling, every single one of them. Kelly's parents were later interviewed about the case, discussing Kelly before and after she met James. They really couldn't bring themselves to talk about Kelly and the case until about 20 years after her death. It was just too painful. Margaret said of Kelly, quote, she was really sporty and social. She was a bit of a tomboy. She gave as good as she got with her brothers, her two brothers, and when she was in her teens, she started to stay away from home without telling us. We now know she was probably with Smith. I'd say to her, come on, Cal, you can do better than that. To which Kelly would reply, I like him, he's nice, end quote. When discussing their visit to Smith's home, Margaret described the hole in the floorboards that he showed them, believing it is actually where he held Kelly. Quote, Smith had tortured other women in that house. It was the kind of place you could put a person down in and keep them. To think we sat there drinking tea with them right there, it makes me sick, end quote. On March 10th of 1996, Margaret spoke to Kellyanne to tell her for or tell her about a missing dental appointment. And that conversation was actually the last they ever had. Quote, the next Sunday was Mother's Day. She promised she was going to come and we didn't hear from her. I got a card, but it wasn't her handwriting. Next weekend, the same thing happened on Tommy's birthday and our wedding anniversary. I said to him, something's wrong. But I could never have imagined what was happening. I wish we had done more. Not a day goes by when we don't think that. But he had her in his clutches and we couldn't save her. I wanted to die just like Kelly did. I know I shouldn't say this, but I wish I'd killed him the first time I saw him. That way Kelly would still be alive. End quote. Margaret discussed the day she heard of Kelly's death in an interview 20 years after her death. And she said something extremely powerful. And I wish they would, you know, give her this opportunity. But she said she keeps asking for five minutes in a room with Smith because he has yet to meet a woman that isn't afraid of him. And she's that woman. So go mom in that situation because she's not afraid of him. But these other girls were that he belittled and degraded and tortured and abused. They were afraid of him, but Kelly's mom wasn't. So 24 years after Kelly's death, her mother, Margaret, actually passed away at the age of 65, just before Christmas in 2020 of respiratory failure. She was a two-time breast cancer survivor and a sufferer of asthma. And she always had stated that she wanted to be with Kellyanne. So it's bittersweet, but it's not. But she finally got to be with her daughter again, if that's what you believe. The sad part about it is, in 2022, 74-year-old James Patterson Smith appeared before a three-person parole board to give evidence and tell them he was a changed man, but he was ultimately denied parole because officials said he was too dangerous. So Margaret worried every day about when James would get out, and two years after her death, it was determined that he was still too dangerous and he was denied parole. So she actually didn't make it to see that happen, but I'm sure she knows now. All right, everyone, that concludes this episode of It's Crime Time, though. If you enjoyed, please consider subscribing to me on Spotify and leaving a rating, preferably Spotify, because this is the main platform I'm hosting on. But Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts is great, too, to review and to rate as well. So thank you for listening. And until next time.